So we're going to read from Exodus chapter 20. That's Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me. You shall not make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be exposed on it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Thank you, Vicky, for that um, Bible reading. Uh, let me lead us in prayer as we get into our sermon this morning. Father, thank you so much that your mercy uh, is more, uh, that despite our sin and brokenness, we can come this morning uh, to you, trusting not in our own righteousness, trusting not in our own performance, uh, but in you and you alone. So I do pray, Father, this morning as we meet that you would empower the preaching of your word 
through your Holy Spirit, uh, that you'd illumine our hearts to love you as we read of your character through the scriptures. So please be with us, uh, be, be with me this morning um, as we shine the light of Christ right here in our midst. Uh, this we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, so for the last uh, two years, we've journeyed our way uh, through Exodus. Uh, we've come to uh, chapter nine, chapter 20, which is kind of um, one of those chapters that most people uh, know. Uh, so this is the story of God rescuing people from Egypt, uh, from slavery, uh, into the promised land. And chapter 20 uh, contains uh, one of the most well-known sections of the Christian story, which is the Ten Commandments. Uh, you might have been at a school where they had the Ten Commandments, maybe a St. Stephen's, St. Uh, Peter, whatever the, the saint is that you went to. Um, you might have seen those um, those Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not um, steal, uh, put up on the wall. Uh, they're very much part of our culture. Uh, they're very much a part of um, what, what we do know. Um, these commandments, in essence, they contain uh, instructions, rules uh, for God's people as they enter into this new land. Um, about what it looks like for them to live a life that is thriving and flourishing in the land that they are about to go into. Uh, so this is the original 10 steps to the good life. Um, and I can almost imagine the Israelites running to go get that book as uh, God published it, author God Almighty, 10 steps to the good life, uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, in it, um, as one author says, uh, we see that uh, tr to live the truly human life is to obey God's law. And the ten words are really a summary of the law um, in its totality. And most of the Old Testament laws are trying to explain to us what those ten words mean. Uh, so this is the beginning of the giving of the law and the beginning of a nation. Um, I think if we also look at culture, this is, these words are not just words for Israel. They have impacted uh, society, especially Western society, uh, and everywhere where Western society has had an influence, uh, these laws have been, have formed the backbone of most of our society. Now, let me just say this, um, that you, you don't have to look far to realize that we as a people don't really like laws. Uh, we don't really want the Ten Commandments. Uh, in fact, we don't want anybody to tell us um, what, how to live our lives, even if those laws are good for us. Uh, so something like wear a mask. Um, we protest that, isn't it? Um, because we don't want to be told uh, what to do. Uh, we don't have to look far. If you open the Midrand report, you'll see that we, as a society, as Midrand people, on, we, we live among lawbreakers, and we ourselves are lawbreakers. If you look at the front page of the Midland Reporter, you'll always have complaints about potholes, um, spend lots of money fixing tires. Uh, so you'll have a, a thing on potholes there, but on top there, there's a Ria Sebeta, um advert, um, and one of the core businesses of Ria Sebeta, uh, what they bank on is that somebody out there is going to break 
one of those Ten Commandments. Uh, somebody's going to disregard, have a disregard for human life or uh, somebody else's property um, because of the, uh, the world that we live in and the, the, the culture we live in of scarcity. Somebody's going to break into your door. So you need Ria Sebeta to protect you. On the second page, it's dedicated to all the bad stuff that happened right here in Midrand. Um, there's a group of pastors that are praying for crime in, um, in our community. They're praying specifically for gender-based violence issues, uh, the disregard of women uh, as people made in the image of God that is so invasive, not just in society out there, but in the lives of Christian Christians as well, the disregard for children and the abuse, whether it's uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse, the disregard for uh, st- the sanctity of sex uh, in our society. Another one is about traffic violations and people driving under the influence of alcohol uh, and, and drugs. In fact, Kate this morning showed me a picture of a robot that was knocked out on Sixth Road, on, on Lever Road there. And if you live in Midrand, you know that they're always fixing a robot. What is behind that? Well, it's if you knock a robot that's like over a pavement, you, you have to be breaking the law. Um, you have to be driving fast and driving under the influence of something. And that's the society we live in. Another one is on scammers who prey on the unemployed and tell them lies. Uh, breaking that law that says thou shalt not lie. We live in a society where people lie to desperate people. Give me 2,000 rand, the scammer said, and I'll find you a job with Pick It Up. Um, just give me a bribe and then come to Pick It Up. They rocked up to Pick It Up and the scammers were not there. The other one, which is a, an advert for steel, and this is, I find ironic, because if you look at it, um, it's advertising fencing, and this fence looks beautiful, right? It's made of steel, but it also has spikes. Um, what are the spikes for? Uh, well, it is to keep away. Isn't it ironic that we make something that pokes human beings um, so beautiful uh, to decorate our, our fences? Why, why do we do that? Well, we live in a society that's not at all interested in uh, these Ten Commandments. Um, this uh, a comedian who I think, as I was uh, reading the text, um, also, I think, put it so well. He put um, just this attitude that we have concerning God's law um, perfectly. He's obviously a comedian, and I used sanitized language um, to, to, uh, to just explain what he said. This is, uh, his name is George Cullen, and he's doing a set in 1999, and he says that religion and the commandments are a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of nonsense. He says when it comes to nonsense, big-time major league nonsense, you have to stand in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. Uh, Religion has easily the greatest nonsense story ever told. He says religion has convinced people that there's an invisible man in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day, and this invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. 
And if you, have, if you do any of these things, ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where you will, he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till at the end of time, but he loves you. <laughs> and you can always tell the sarcasm uh, the, the mockery of uh, the Judeo-Christian worldview and especially the Ten Commandments. And the, the audience, if you watch this show, share because I think uh, they agree with him uh, that God is oppressive and the, his law, these ten rules that we have um, are oppressive. And so the question is for us this morning, if this is the view of the law, um, if this is our attitude towards it, um, what is, how do we think as a church uh, and as a, many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, what, what should we think um, about the law? What place is the law uh, in these Ten Commandments? What place does it have for us living in Midland um, 2022? Now, just to say, I'm not going to dwell on every command uh, as much as I'm tempted to, I'm tempted to take this mic and preach to you. Uh, and uh, I'm a black preacher. They put me on the clock there. Um, <laughs> doesn't work, does it? I, I, I want to talk to you, Basel one. <laughs> so we're not going to look into every single law. In fact, we did a series on the Ten Commandments, I think about three, four years back. Go onto the website and, and look at that. But what I want to do this morning is to look at the key motivations for why we obey the law, the key motivation of how we should think about God's law, even if we don't understand fully and can unpack fully what those laws mean, but the heart behind what God is doing. And for us to do that, we're going to look at three key words, uh, three key words that underpin the motivation behind that. Ten Commandments, the motivation behind chapter 20, if we don't understand it, we'll always have a negative view towards the law. We'll not understand the heart behind what God is saying to these people. And those three words are freedom, belonging, and purpose. Freedom, belonging, and purpose. Uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, primarily at the heart of it is about freedom. Uh, it is also about a nation, God calling a nation to belong, but it's also about purpose. Uh, so we're going to see three different points. One, number one is that we all want to be free. Number two, we all long to belong. And number three, we all made for a purpose. We all made for a purpose. So let's have a look at number one. As Ernest Martin would say, the first point is by far the longest. Uh, we want to be free. Have a look at the Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2, as we explore the freedom uh, that God gives to this people, Israel. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20. And the Lord spoke all this word, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
Don't you find it interesting that before God says anything, before God calls his people to obey, he first explains to them who he is and who they are. He first explains to them at the word go of the story behind the law. And the story behind the law is the story of freedom. In other words, God is telling people who are free what it looks like to obey. God is not asking people who are in bondage to work their way and to obey their way out of slavery. No, at the very word go, we see that at the heart of the Ten Commandments is this story of enslaved people who were rescued um, and now they are free and now they find themselves in the desert. For 19 chapters, we have been anticipating their freedom. Now that they are free, they are at this mountain and they are there to hear what God has to say to them. If you don't understand the story of freedom, firstly in the life of Israel and in, in the life of a Christian, that obedience to God, first and foremost, stems out of freedom. Uh, we will always grumble about the law. Uh, let me just explain what I mean by that. Um, let's just think of our own country and the laws of our country um, and who we are as a nation. I don't think you can understand a South African without understanding their story. You cannot understand us as a people if you don't grasp the fact that we came from an oppressive past and we are now a liberated people. That, that's at the heart of who we are. That's at the heart of our holidays that we celebrate. We look at our past um, and the mistakes we made in the past and we look to the future. At the heart of it all is freedom. This is why the words to the preamble of our constitution I say this. I don't know if you know the, the first few words of our constitution. We, the people of South Africa, recognize the injustice of our past, honor those who suffered for justice and freedom in our land, respect those who have worked hard to build and develop our country, and believe that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, united in our diversity. That is who we are as a nation. We, therefore, through our freely elected representatives, adopt this constitution as the supreme law of the republic. There is a story behind the laws that we adopt. And here's the thing, if you don't understand the story, you'll always try to find loopholes, you'll always have a problem with uh, some of uh, the law of this country. You'll always think, well, maybe those uh, slavery days used to be good, uh, perhaps we should go back there, failing to recognize the beauty that is our constitution. Uh, we are a nation that complains a lot, um, isn't it? Uh, we complain about the country that we live in, and very often it's because we don't realize the beauty of our stories. Shucks, you know where we came from, and do you know what brought us here? We need to look back at, we, at where we came from and, and live in the here now with view of that and a desire for something, a, a better life, right? Uh, and so in some ways, in a more profound way, chapter 1 and 2 is the preamble to the constitution of God's people. As they come together as a new nation, God says this word, I'm the Lord your God 
who rescued you out of Egypt. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And so if you remember that, that's going to govern the way that you think and engage with your world. Um, that is one of the most powerful things that you see with the Christian story, that our God is a God who first frees us before he calls us to obey. Amen. Listen to this words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. Deuteronomy simply means the second law. This is the second giving of the law as Moses talks to a new generation and he reminds them of the statutes and the laws that were written in chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. He sets it up this way, that there will come a time when your son asks you about the importance of this law. Verse 21, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves, we were Pharaoh slaves in Egypt. So this is their story. And the Lord, Yahweh, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his households before our eyes. Verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us a land that he sought to give to our forefathers. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Listen to another reason why they ought to obey, for our good always, and he, that he might preserve us alive as we, as we are to this day. Um, so the first thing that we see there is that the reason behind this law is freedom. We were slaves in Egypt. Now we are called to obey. Why, why should you observe the Sabbath? Well, you used to dwell in Egypt. Now you have been free. Why should you care about human life? Well, human life in the slavery of Egypt was disregarded. People were just trash and just physical labor. Uh, but now you are saved and you are free. So live in the freedom that God has given you. Why should you care about sexual ethics? Well, we're no longer slaves. We are God's people. And because of that, we serve him and him alone. And we care about the sanctity of sex. Why should you worship him and him alone and not worship any other gods? Well, because only the God who rescued us is uh, worthy of our worship. Uh, so that freedom and that story of freedom gives them reason why they ought to obey. And I think it's so important for us as Christians to remember that because in our heart of hearts, um, we, don't, we don't often uh, engage with that. Uh, we don't often understand the why behind why we obey. I am a, a father of uh, two beautiful children. They say you must never use your children as uh, sermon illustrations because uh, they, they, they grow up hating <laughs> um, because all eyes are on them. So I'm not using them as a sermon illustration. I'm only bringing this up because I think it's true of all parents and all children. Um, why do children always ask that annoying question? When you tell them to do something, what's the question they ask? Why? Why? It's as if they programmed uh, and somebody put in a code there. If commanded to say, to do something, respond, why? 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 Um, 
especially the pandemic children. <laughs> they, they come installed with the, the software that um, asks that question, why? Dad says, Neo, please don't put your hand in that plug. Neo says, why? Why should I do that? Nganyiso, stop jumping on the bed. You're going to hurt yourself. Why? Well, I just told you why. <laughs> why are you asking why? Now, there's, there's a reason why they do that, and I think it's twofold. On the one hand, I think they're really just trying to understand why, because they're trying to comprehend life and how things work. But as a parent, I think sometimes it's because they just, they just want to push boundaries, um, because they just don't believe that dad has their best interest at heart. They don't believe that freedom is found in obeying. Uh, in their heart of hearts, they secretly believe that rules are oppression, and they want freedom. And here's the thing, church. Um, we grow up, and we never outgrow that. Um, we never outgrow that. We grow up, and we just become sophisticated at always asking God, why? Why should we obey? Surely your, your rules sound oppressive. Surely the things that Jesus calls us to uh, sounds uh, a little bit more difficult and restraining. Uh, we invent sophisticated ways of lying. Um, we just become better at masking it uh, and lying to one another. We become more sophisticated in desiring more, more, more stuff uh, and coveting. We call it ambition. Uh, I'm, I'm a driven individual. Um, we do that, don't we? We Perhaps as Christians also couch slandering other people with prayer requests. <laughs> um, let's pray for so-and-so. Um, have you heard what had happened? Shucks, I'm so concerned. Um, no, you're not concerned. You just want to gossip uh, so that you feel better about yourself. And so that's, that's who we are. We're always breaking this law in one form of another. At the heart of it all is that we think that freedom from God and his laws is true freedom. That true freedom is freedom from God. Forgetting that true freedom is freedom in God. It is found in our obedience with him. And the closer we move towards that, uh, the more we live um, uh, the good life. Uh, and so the first point, what are we talking about? We're talking about freedom. Talking about freedom, the freedom that God gives us. And yes, we're talking about freedom from Egypt, but you and I don't even know what <laughs> like Egypt is all about. It has no relevance to us. But as Royden has said in the last couple of weeks, that the Christian life has an exodus shape to it. It's about freedom from slavery, uh, from Egypt, uh, through the water, through the wilderness to the promised land. Our freedom as Christians moves from freedom to dominion of sin through Christ who dies for us, uh, through his blood, uh, through the baptism of the Spirit into a long walk to freedom in the wilderness, this wilderness called Midrand, towards the promised land. 
And so that is our, our journey. And as we journey through that, we need to remember that we are saved people. We are free people. Freed, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, so that we don't submit our members and our lives to the old slavery. We free to live for God. And very often, if you think about Jobek, man, we don't often step into that freedom, do we? Uh, we live lives uh, of being enslaved, being enslaved to the desire for more, being enslaved with uh, just obsession over sex. Uh, how does it play itself out? It plays itself out in us wanting to be sexy and good-looking. Uh, even when you have had three, five kids, you just still want to be sexy. Even if you are a 60-year-old male and um, your metabolism has given up. Instagram and the life of Instagram. I was asking the 8 o'clock service. Do you guys know what Instagram is? <laughs> Instagram is the place where we, we just want to be sexy and look good and tell the world about it. Take a picture, put it out there, and get affirmation that we are good-looking. That is the slavery that we've given ourselves to. One of the slaveries that I see is the slavery of hatred towards one another. It just, we just thrive on hatred, isn't it? As a, as a culture, as a country, the hatred of the other, whether it's the foreigner who's stealing our jobs, whether it's the white people who came to steal our land, or the blacks, uh, whatever it is, we all have this hatred towards somebody, uh, somebody, and we don't see them as people made in the image of God. And so we have conversations about them at dinner tables, uh, at our brides. We always, always complaining about the other, failing to see that true freedom comes in us believing what God has done, comes in us seeing the other person as someone made in the image of God. Uh, So the first point uh, that we need to remember is that God has freed us to live that way. God has freed us to obey these things, and when we do, we will live in a thriving society as he empowers us to do so. As we said, the first point is by far the longest. Amen. Are you still with me, Bazalani? Somebody shout freedom, Bazalani. <laughs> you guys are not helping me. Shout freedom. <laughs> there we go. Um, now, second point, which is related to the first point, is we all long to belong. And I think that is the key to God freeing these people. He frees them and rescues them so that they can belong to him. Notice the language over and over again of belonging. Verse 1 again. And God spoke these words, verse 2, I am the Lord, your God. Your God. The language of belonging, that this is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, um, this is the, the, the language of belonging. Verse 7, also you pick up this language of belonging. You shall not take up the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We often read that commandment to think that it's referring to not using the name of God as a cast word. That's true, but it's more weightier than that. This command is calling Israel to remember that they bear the family name. Yahweh's name is a family name that they bear. So don't bring disrepute to the name. Um, If you lived with a a black mother, um, whenever you went somewhere, 
to represent, they will always remind you that you, you represent the family. You're not just David, but you represent where you came from. And so this is the weight of this law, that the Israelites, as people who are rescued, belong to God, and they represent the name of God. Now, why is that powerful? Well, that's powerful because I think every single one of us longs to belong. Every single one of us do things because of our longing to belong. Every single one of us thinks of God not as someone who's called us to a place of belonging. So the law becomes this weighty thing. And you always feel like God is that terrible boss who's given you impossible KPIs. Um, and he just, he set you up for failure and you are stricken by guilt and shame. Why? Because you haven't obeyed. Uh, this is why we need to remember that we belong. And here's a powerful thing. Our belonging is not based on our performance. It is not based on a future, better version of ourselves that pleases God. No, our belonging is first and foremost an act of God. If you are a Christian, we ought to remember that, that we belong to God because of what Jesus has done. That empowers us, as Paul says in Titus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has appeared to all mankind and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness as we recognize the freedom that is given us and as we recognize uh, the belonging that we have in him. Uh, it is powerful to remember that I belong to God's community not because of what I've done, but because of what God has done, because of what God has done. So first thing, we are free, but we freed from slavery, not to just remain in the desert, but to become God's people. And that is what God is doing as he shapes and molds the nation of Israel, a nation of slaves into people who belong to a family. And that's why we call ourselves a redeemed family. Redeemed means we saved, but also we family because we belong. And you and I are not family members because of our performance. And that is key because we live in Joburg, right? And our lives are all about performance. You have to perform your way to keep the job. Otherwise, that's the end of you. And we often adopt that mindset in our engagement with God. But God wants you this morning to remember that you are free and that you belong. And here's the thing, and here's the point of our, 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 our section, our passage this morning, that the more we grow in our understanding of this freedom we have in Jesus, the more we'll enjoy the good life that the law has to give us. The more we grow in our understanding of this freedom, this belonging, the more we'll live lives that are satisfied in God. That is why Paul prays for the Christians to receive power to understand the depth of God's love for them. Because when you step into that place, we are empowered to live lives for him, to live lives of purpose, which is um, our, last, our last point. Um, God has feed us, we belong, and we have a purpose. What is that purpose? When in Exodus, throughout Exodus, if you have your Bible still, let's do, let's do a quick exercise. Chapter 7, verse 16. 
This is God's purpose to Israel as he speaks to Pharaoh. Verse 16, the last part of it. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, God says. Chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 8, verse 20, same thing. Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh, and go as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Same thing with chapter 9, verse 1. Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 13. Chapter 10, verse 3. Let my people go that they would serve me. Now here's the interesting thing. The word serve is the same word that is used for slavery. It is the word to to serve. So in the past, they served the Pharaoh, but God has called them to belong and to come serve him. Um, In the words of Romans chapter 6, again, Paul says, we are rescued from one form of servitude to another form of servitude. We are rescued from service to sin, which is oppressive, which is never enough. It always demands of us to a loving and gracious God who calls us to serve him, not for his good, but for our own good. That is what God has called us to, to live as he has intended for us to live. As he created mankind in Genesis, he created man to live and to serve him. What did we do? We gave up that service to Yahweh. We wanted to serve ourselves. And those passions, those desires to serve self enslaved us, enslaved us. Uh, one, um, one preacher says that we have as many masters as we have vices. We have many masters as we have vices. Paul Tripp says this of the Christian life, or rather of, of life in general, that as long as sin lives in all of us, we are always, sadly, shopping for a better master. So you and I are always serving something. Either we serve an oppressive master, which is sin and disobedience to God, or we recognize and go deep into seeing our freedom so that we serve God and are empowered to do so. As we know and as we see and as we taste that God requires us to serve him, for our own good. This is the very reason he's created us, um, to be people who are servants of him. Now, I just want to close us off um, and just want us to reflect on our, on our own lives, um, reflect on that truth that Exodus teaches us. Okay, so if, if what we're saying is that the more we grow in understanding our freedom, our purpose in God... Um, the more we will live to enjoy the good life that the law offers. If that is true, how does that play itself out in our lives? Because I think very often we don't step into that freedom. We just don't believe it. Um, Yes, we understand it. Christ died for my sins. Amen. We sang about that. 
uh, that amazing grace that his mercy is more, our sins are many. But very often when we look at our lives, it just feels like we're not winning, does it? If you are a Christian, it feels like, Shucks, no, I even understand this law, but I know also that Jesus calls me to deeper obedience um, to a life of no hatred. Uh, Jesus says, not only do you not commit adultery, but do not even look at somebody lastfully, and you're just like, man, I've, I blew it so much this week. Um, I don't believe that I am free. I believe that I'm still enslaved by something. If, if life was a game, I'm not winning it. If life was a game of football, I'm, I'm Liverpool. <laughs> no matter how much I try to, to win, it just doesn't work, does it? Um, and I think we feel like that sometimes, if we had to be, to be honest. Now, what, what would it look like if you look at those vices that enslave you to remember that sin has no dominion over your life? How would that empower you to serve him? To remember that I am free, I belong, like I'm, I'm a child of God. And God has called me to a life of purpose. What would it look like this week to believe that? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this, your word. We thank you for the story of Exodus, a story of freedom, uh, freedom from oppression. Uh, we do admit, Lord, that very often we don't see obedience to you as, as a form of freedom. We see it as oppression, and, and therefore we continue pursuing our passions. Um, and as Paul prayed, Father, I do pray that this morning, you would give us power from above because we so need it. Because in of ourselves, we don't grasp this freedom that you've given us. So we do pray for power from above uh, to empower us to grow in our knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. I pray that your grace would motivate, would empower us coming, going into this week to be faithful just once more this week. Just for this week, Lord. Help us to remember the freedom that we have in you. Empower us to live lives of obedience, knowing that we obey out of a place of belonging. I pray for somebody who's not a believer, uh, who's always had a negative view of you, or, or who's always felt like they don't match up. I pray that this morning that they will encounter, encounter you, a God who frees a God who hears us in our misery, in our brokenness, a God who sees us in our sin, a God who comes to rescue us so that we would live for him. So please empower us as we go into this world, as we go into uh, the corporate spaces, um, the wilderness that is life. I pray that we would live for you and serve you. This we pray in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen and amen.